Would you turn please this evening to the third epistle of John, third John, towards the end of the New Testament. Let's pray and then we'll read and we'll release our faith for utterance tonight. Father, we thank you for the precious, holy word of God. Thank you for this written word. Thank you that as the Spirit quickens the Word to us, it is life to us, health and medicine to all of our flesh, illuminates us and enlightens us. Thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit whom you've sent to indwell us and to be our guide. Help us to yield to Him. Grant utterance, full, precise, complete, and everybody, ears to hear and eyes that see and a heart that receives. Let there come answers to questions tonight, solutions to problems, direction and help for right now, fresh manna for now. And we'll give you the praise and thanks and we'll not be hearers only, but by your grace we shall be doers of the word. And as we do, we know. We'll be blessed because you're faithful to watch over your word and perform it in Jesus' name. Amen. Said out loud, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer of the word of God. You realize these are the only people who get results. It's not the church goers that get results in their life. It's not tape players. It's not just Bible readers. It's not just people that say amen. It's not just people who talk about the Bible. It's not just people who have books and tapes galore in their house or car. It's the who? Only, only the doers get results in their life. In uh, 3 John, just one chapter, and the second verse, let's talk some more about doing the word in these areas. 3 John 2, are you there? He said, Beloved, I wish, uh, the margin says, pray or desire above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Beloved, I desire, pray, wish above all things, above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. How many believe that the Bible is God speaking to us? Yes. We can take it personally. Amen. I've read a few scholars, so-called, that try to act like that, well, this was just John saying howdy to Gaius. <laughs> if all it was was a passing howdy, it ought not be in here. Right? Because there's all kind of things that the Lord himself said and did that are not recorded in here. And of course, there's a whole host of things that the disciples said and did and the apostles that's not recorded. How many believe this is selected, picked by the Holy Spirit? Amen. Recorded, preserved for generations. And it is not just the words of men. It's God's word. And it applies to all men for all time. Right? Everybody sit out loud. This verse is God speaking to me. Well, what did he tell you? Did the Lord say that it was his will and his pleasure, his desire for you above all things that you would prosper? Now, let's just stop right there. A lot of Christians choke on that. They go, God don't care about that stuff. Said who? Said who? Who said he doesn't care about that stuff? People ignore realms of scripture. You ought to do a study sometimes and see how many times the Lord taught on money versus prayer, for instance. Go back and see. It'll open your eyes. You might be amazed if you've thought religiously and traditionally. There is a whole lot in the Bible on money and prosperity and blessing. If you've been coming for the last several weeks, are you becoming convinced? Yes. We haven't looked at two or three verses. We've looked at chapter after chapter and book after book. And we haven't even got to the New Testament yet, really. 
in our study. I mean, our text is here, but we hadn't got to the Psalms and Proverbs and prophets yet. We just are beginning in the Old Testament. And we've seen just verse after verse and truth after truth. We've called this series Prosperity Proven. And that's our objective. To prove beyond any question and any doubt what we just read. It is His will that we prosper materially, financially, and that we be in health physically. How's it going to happen? Even as our soul prospers. People try to say, well, that means, you know, uh, spiritual prosperity is the most important. That's not what that said. That's not what it said. He said, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health. That's what he desires above all things. Then he tells you how that's going to happen. It's going to happen as your soul prospers. And people think, well, I don't need to focus on that. I just need to focus on on the soulical prosperity. No. You're not going to prosper in your pocketbook until you prosper in your soul. Physical healing for your body starts first on the inside. You see yourself healed. You think healed. You talk healed. Did you hear me? And that's prospering on the inside, in your soul. And as you do that, it's going to affect your body. You got to quit talking poor and quit thinking broke. You got to make plans to do things that rich people do. Huh? In most average congregations, if you said, all the rich people, please stand. Now, in this church, it'd probably be a little different, but in a lot of churches, I understand, a lot of folk, even if they had a good bit of money, wouldn't want to stand. Why? Oh, I'm not rich. And people, they really downplay. You got people that's got a lot of money, and they try to act like, oh, no, I don't have much. Nah, you know. Oh, we're okay. We get along pretty good. But. And they got millions laying in the bank. Why? Want to hide their prosperity, because they think something's wrong with it. Because they've been taught that through the church. But they didn't get it from the Bible. They got it from men's mixed up ideas. Because the Lord said it was his will that you and I prosper. If you believe that, it'll make you happy all night. Just that one thing right there. If you really were 100% fully convinced of that, it'd make you happy all night. God wants me prosperous. Just that one thing. He said it. I believe it. Right? That should be the end of all discussion and wrangling. But as I prosper in my soul, as I quit believing lies, as I quit thinking broke, I quit talking broke, I prosper in my soul, then that's going to work out in my life in every area. You get rich on the inside, it's just a matter of time till you get rich on the outside. Now, we've gone through a number of things, and if you haven't been with us, let me encourage you. Get the tapes. They're available. And uh, the Lord was uh, dealing with me today while I was praying about some things, about some people that were missing out on these because they didn't see the importance of it. And if they don't watch it, they're going to be behind. And uh, it can become very serious over a long period of time. Uh, because what happens, let's say all of us are here Friday night after Friday night after Friday. We've only been going a couple of years. But let's say the Lord tears is coming and this turns into year after year and decade after decade. Well, after a while, we will think differently and see things completely differently than people who've not been here. Did you hear me? And our faith will be at a completely different level than somebody that hadn't been here at all. I'm talking about people that are supposed to be part of our group. I know everybody's not supposed to be here, but if you're part of another church, you're supposed to be at your place getting fed. But uh, what happens then sometimes, and I pray it doesn't happen here, for the people that don't see the importance of it, what can happen, though, is what happened in Jesus' ministry. After a length of time, he began to preach and teach some things that was meat of the word. And you remember on one day when most of the crowd left? You remember that? Why? They couldn't hear it. Their thinking wasn't at the place. 
And their heart and their faith wasn't at the place where they could hear it and receive it. But the guys that had been the closest to him didn't leave. Even though they didn't understand, they were at a place where they could keep going. Right? It's important. I said it's important. Because uh, I have seen it over the years that people, if they don't stay hooked and they don't get progressively fed and grow, then they get to a place where they think they disagree with something. They don't see it and can pull their self out of where God has them, get miffed about something, get upset and leave and jump out of the will of God. It can be very serious. But you know, if you're hearing it, I mean, just a few weeks we've been doing this. For a lot of you, it doesn't sound strange at all to you for me to say, God, won't you rich? Amen. I mean, you've heard it so much, right? And I talk about the blessing and you just go, yeah, yeah, covenant of prosperity. That don't sound strange to you. And we've only been going a few weeks. But if you hadn't heard any of it or ever heard it, it could sound very strange to you. So, uh. We've been talking about prosperity proven. We've gone on a number of things. We've talked about the names of God, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. We looked at the patriarchs. What kind of God did Abraham know and Isaac know and Jacob know and Joseph know? They all knew a God who made them rich. They all knew a God who blessed them amazingly. And we begin talking about for the last couple of weeks about the covenant of prosperity. God established a covenant with Abraham that applies to us today. And we are blessed. The blessing of Abraham is ours. It includes material prosperity. The curse of the disobedient is not ours. <laughs> And we read numerous scriptures in Deuteronomy 28 about working hard and losing what you had and finally getting something done and somebody else coming in, taking it away from you and all kinds of poverty things that are a part of the curse of the law. And according to Galatians 3.13, I'm redeemed. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. Don't have to have it. Poverty is a part of that. Sickness is too. But let's go on this evening to another area. We talked about what kind of God did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know. These were uh, the patriarchs. But let's go on today to talk about this. What kind of God did King David know? And we're going to look at King Solomon. And we're going to look at King Jehoshaphat. And we're going to look at the kings for a little bit here. That comes next in the scriptures. Somebody says, what does that have to do with us? Well, I was hoping you'd ask that. (laughs) Turn on over to the book of Revelation before we dive into this. The book of Revelation. Boy, I got lots of notes tonight. Is that good? In Revelation... The first chapter, Revelation 1, are you there? And verse 5, he said this revelation and this uh, epistle here is from Jesus Christ, Revelation 1, 5, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince Of the kings of the earth. Jesus is called the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved who? Us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And let's just stop right here. Who are these kings of the earth that he's prince of? Who's that talking about? Would that be talking about the people that's in positions of authority right now? On the earth. Verse 6. What did it say? Here's the answer. And has made us. Who? Come on now. You ought to get happy about this. He has made us what? Kings. Kings, uh, And priests. 
unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Has he made us kings? When it says he's the king of kings, who are the kings? He's king of. That's a little weak. This hadn't been taught, maybe as strongly as it could or should have been. Are you a king? Is this talking about you? Has he washed you in his blood? Did he love you? Well, then this is the same us that he said have been made kings. So whether you feel like it or not, whether you understand it or not, accept the word and say, I'm a king. I'm a king. He's made me a king. See, just as surely as he loved you, he made you a king. Just as surely as he washed you in his blood, he made you a king. Same verses right here. Right? Then this should cause you to become more interested in all the writings about kings. Do you see why I take the time to do this? Because many times people look back there and they go, well, yeah, you know, they had kings and kingdoms like that. That was pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. But they think it has no application to them. And it's one reason they don't read it. No, everything that's talking about kings, the good ones, applies to you. All the principles and all the truths, because this is faith school. Your whole life. Earth is faith camp. You're being trained. You're being trained in the things of God. You're being trained to work with the Holy Spirit. You're being trained to use and walk by faith. For what? Not just sit on a cloud and play a harp throughout the ages. Does the Bible not tell us that we're going to rule and reign? Who does that? Who rules and reigns? We're going to rule and reign with Him. You might think. Me? I'm from Branson. I'm from Harrison. I'm from out in the country. I don't know a thing in the world about being the king. That's why he's teaching you right now. And he's going to teach you later. But you and I are going to rule and reign if you believe the Bible. You've got to believe this. We're kings. Who ever heard of a bunch of broke kings? Who ever heard of poverty kings? Well, I'm a poverty king, somebody would say. (laughs) Who ever heard of such? When you think king, what do you think? Huh? You think gold crown. Great big honking jewels. I don't mean these little bitty, you know, dust stuff. I'm talking about poop. You know, emerald, ruby, diamond. How many know what kind of clothes kings wear? They don't wear toe sacks. Hmm? What kind of clothes do kings wear? What kind of shoes do kings wear? What kind of chariots kings ride in? The best. What kind of thrones do they sit in? Some old rickety something? Rusty something? No, ivory. Ivory. Gold. What kind of houses do kings live in? Huh? Well, after all, you know, the Lord said, in my father's house are many efficiencies. <laughs> no, I didn't. Many what? Mansions. If you look up that word, it means it's literally abode. Or a place where you live. One word is the word manor that comes from it. It's an English word that means landed estate. How many believe there's some nice places in heaven? And the Lord's working on yours. Right now, he's custom building it. Because he knows what you like. And when you get there, for the next thousand years, you'll be going, ooh, Ah, oh, wow. And you'll be doing a lot of this. Oh, God, you're so good. Oh, God, you're so good. You knew what I like. You knew exactly what I would like. You'll be doing that on and on and on and on. And you'll never get tired of it. But, of course, that's not necessarily God's will for here and now. 
That's what millions believe. I mean, understand there are millions of Christians. They'd fight you if you tried to tell them that there's going to be blind people and crippled people and people with cancer in heaven. They'd say, you know, there's not. You'd say, yeah, sometimes in heaven you'll find some sick people. They'll say, blasphemy, error, right? But yet they'll do everything within your power to tell you that down here, sometimes it's the will of God. They just got through telling us that God has two different wills. He's got a completely different will for heaven than he does here. And that is completely contrary to what he taught us to pray. Didn't he? Didn't he say, pray that thy will would be done on earth. How? Even as it is in heaven. That tells you two things. At least two things. Tells you one, there's not two different wills. One for heaven and one for earth. It also tells you God's perfect will is not being done in its entirety on the earth. Or he wouldn't teach you to pray that it would be. Right? If it's all right for me to live in a mansion in heaven, then it's all right for me to live in one down here. If it's all right for me to wear kingly robes in heaven, then it's all right for me to wear king. Somebody said, well, you know, I actually heard a fellow trying to write a book and everything said, would Jesus wear a Rolex? Well, if he had a watch, they didn't have them back then like that. But if he had one, what kind do you think it would have been? His clothes were so expensive that the soldiers gambled over them. Did you hear me? He had some nice stuff. He had people that made it their job to follow him around and support him financially. That had a lot of money. Now, he didn't own a lot of property. Neither did Abraham. Abraham didn't have title deed to one acre, but was one of the richest men of the East. Sometimes people try to take that and say, well, you know, Jesus said, you know, the foxes have their dens and the birds have their net, but the son of man doesn't have where to lay his head. But he did have a place to stay. He enjoyed some nice stuff. He just didn't have title to it. And, you know, we don't have to have title for everything that goes on down here. Just at the right place, at the right time. Here's the nice thing to help you do what you're called to do. Everybody say kings. Kings. He's made us kings and priests priests. unto our God. God. Now, did you read the scripture now? Let me read it to you again. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and, and, all of it goes together, and has made us kings and priests to our God. Does he love you? Did he love you and wash you from your sins? Did he just as surely make you a king and a priest? Until you're God. So no matter how you feel about it, if you feel like a king or a pauper, or how you think, none of that matters. Believe the word and accept it. Say it out loud. I'm loved of God. I'm washed in the blood. And I'm made a king and a priest to my God. Now later on, this is really going to mean something to us. In the days to come, in the ages to come, God is going to demonstrate to the people of the world that he chose us. Uh, That's another subject in its entirety. But friend, we might as well get used to the idea. We're kings. We're made to rule and reign. Kings are rich. Do you see where I'm going with this now? Kings are rich. King David is a good example. King Solomon is a good example. And we're going to go from there. But go back with me to the Old Testament. Let's look at some things about King David. Go back, please. Let's see to 1 Samuel, I believe, first of all. Bless the Lord. 1 Samuel. Anybody stirred up about this at least a little bit? How many kings do I have in here? I'm a king. What do kings do? 
A rule and reign. Right? Rule and reign. Now you can't control everything in other people's lives, but in your life, you can rule and reign if you believe that. In uh, 1 Samuel, let's start in the 18th chapter. Just give a little bit of an overview about King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who was not always rich. How many know he didn't start out as King David? How did he start out? David, the uh, shepherd and guitar player. They get to our play. Yeah, he had a little portable harp, you know. And he would write his tunes and sing his songs out there with the sheep by himself. The youngest of a large family. And in those days, being the firstborn was everything. Not the baby. Did you hear me? You know the story how that when God told Samuel, go anoint one of Jesse's boys to be king. They all thought it was going to be the number one son, the eldest boy. He had the looks. He had the stature. He was a big, strong man, noble features. Everybody said, it's got to be him. But it wasn't him. And it wasn't number two. And it wasn't number three. Right on down the line. And David was so insignificant in the family, they didn't call him to the supper. <laughs> you get that? Yeah. He was the freckle-faced kid that had to keep the sheep while the big boys took care of stuff. And he's out there in the field taking care of the sheep. And finally they went through all the boys. And Samuel said, uh, the Lord said, none of these are are he. He said, you got any more boys? He said, yeah, one. We're just a kid out there with the sheep. He said, we can't sit down. Do you bring him? And when they brought him in, of course, he'd been out with the sheep. He probably don't look all that sharp. Sure don't smell all that good. (laughs) And here he comes, a kid. And the Lord said, this is him. Rise, stand up and anoint him. Glory to God. How many know the Lord's choice makes the difference? Well, even after he he started out a kid, uh, youngest in the family, no place of privilege. They weren't wealthy. I'm going to show you that further in just a moment. But through his faith, he did a great exploit. Was used of God to conquer the giant Goliath. And boy, everybody knew the little boy David, the teenager David. Everybody knew him. It was big stuff. He got to go to the palace and play his guitar or his little portable harp. And that was great for a little while. But then Saul became jealous of him. And, you know, during this time, he asked him about marrying his daughter, Saul, did. Now notice in uh, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. And uh, when they sent word in verse 22, 1 Samuel 18, 22, said, The king has delight in you. 1 Samuel 18, 22. All his servants love you. Now be the king's son-in-law. But really he was trying to set him up. Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, Seems it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? Let's just stop right here. Do you see where he started? He was not the firstborn. He was lightly esteemed. He was a poor kid. And not long after this, he has to run for his life. Right? What little he had begun to make progress in is all out the window. He's a fugitive. He's wanted. His face is on posters, so to speak. Right? I mean, he is, it'd be like today being on the FBI's top ten wanted list. I mean, he is number one man that the king wants dead. Number one. And he spared no expense. He sent military operations after him. He used all the intelligence of the nation. And David 
ran for his life night and day, night and day. But even in that situation, kind of remind you of Joseph, even as a slave, he was a prosperous man. Remember that? Even running from the law, hiding, having to change places every day, David began to prosper. People began to come and hook up with him. He began to get stronger and stronger and have stuff. And after a while, he had family. He had herds. He had stuff. He had possessions. This is as a fugitive. How many believe God can bless you in any circumstances? In a prison cell. Right? As a slave. As a fugitive. You could still be blessed. So at this juncture, David has become a man of substance and a man who a number of people are under him as a fugitive. Now think about how supernatural that is. Every day they got to get up and think about where they're going to run today. And where's Saul's army? Where's his police force? Got to avoid them. And... uh What happened, though, shortly after this in the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel? David and the men were out. And when they got back to the city where their stuff and their families were, this is 1 Samuel 30 and 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, that's where their folks were, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small. How many know that's a miracle? In those days, they didn't kill one person. Just took them all captives. But they carried them away and went on their way. And David and his men came to the city. They came home after a campaign. They're tired. They're ready to see their families and eat a good meal and get some rest. And it was burned with fire. How many of that alone can do something to you? You're around the corner, pull up in your driveway. Everything you own is smoking. It's burnt to the ground. Nothing there. Of course, what's the next thing you think about? Your family. Right? Where are they? And the more you look, the less you see. Nobody's family is anywhere to be found. What kind of thoughts would go through your mind? Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. They cried till they couldn't cry anymore. How many understand these are not little crybabies, little wimpy boys? I mean, these men were so feared, you'd read some of their exploits. These men were fearless. I'm telling you, their exploits about some of these guys going hand to hand with a lion. And winning. And all these guys are crying like babies. They cried till they didn't have any strength to cry. Why? Said, Why don't they go do something? They don't know where they are. They don't know which way do you go. They don't know if they're dead. They don't know if they're alive. All they see is smoking remains of what used to be their house. All their livestock's gone. Their wife is gone, their son, daughter's gone, their dog is gone. Nothing is left. I mean, just like that, everything is gone. Now we're talking about King David. Talking about what kind of God he knew. And what kind of man God knew in him. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. How many when things go rough, people want to blame somebody? Don't they? I mean, yesterday, David was the greatest thing since sliced bread and front shirt pockets. But today, he is the cause of all our pain. If we hadn't have been out with him, we'd have been here and protect our folks. 
They want to kill him. I mean, they're serious. They want to kill him. And when these guys want to kill you, it's serious. (laughs) They're expert at killing folks. The people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. And so David saved him the trouble and committed suicide. What? What would a lot of people do in this situation? What did he do? Now you may think I've digressed, but friend, this is vital. Here is a man. He, he came up poor. He got ahead a little bit and then was knocked down to nothing again. He built up strong and then just like this has nothing. Not even his family. What do you do in that kind of situation? You know, they tell us that most people that are multi-billionaires today have gone broke two or three times. But yet they're multi-billionaires today. Why? They wouldn't quit. To them, it was not the end. Somebody said, yeah, you're broke. Don't you understand? You're broke. And they're like, temporary situation. Why? They do not see themselves as broke. They refuse to accept that inside themselves. But most of the population of the world believes they're broke. And that's just the way it is. And we poor, but we proud. Lord loves poor people too. Sure he does. And it's no sin to be poor. Just mighty inconvenient. And it's not the perfect will of God. And it sure doesn't befit kings. You got to be like this. Are you, are you seeing this? What did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? Do you know how to do it? How do you do that? You can go back sometime and read some of the Psalms. We have some of them recorded, don't we? Let's go back and look at one. You want to? Some people may not think this is exciting enough for them tonight, but this is what you need. What do you do when you bust the bottom? What do you do when you were doing so great yesterday and today? It's all gone. What do you do? You encourage yourself. You say, well, nobody, the church people wouldn't come encourage me. He ain't got nobody to encourage him. They want to kill him. <laughs> ain't nobody helping him. Right. And my family won't support me. Well, bless your darling heart. Be strong. Get yourself by the ear and by the nap of the neck and say, stand up now. Look at here. God's done too much for you. For you to act like this. Lay around and whine and cry. You've been in scrapes before. You've been in tough spots before. God's brought you through. Again and again. Look in, I believe it's the 42nd Psalm I'm thinking it is. Go to Psalm 42 real quickly. Psalm 42. What did David do? Everything was down. Everybody was against him. What did he do? He encouraged himself. He, he, who did it? He did it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you like that? Can you do that? Should you do that? Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. How people just, you know, they're, they're babies, I guess. They don't understand. They cry, so, well, somebody's got to help me. No, they don't. <laughs> Who's got to help you? No, they don't. People can in mass decide not to help you. <laughs> Somebody say, well, they ought to. They're supposed to. Well, whether they ought to or not, they don't have to do a thing. And one thing you got to get past if you're going to quit being a little teeny whiny baby is you got to come to the realization nobody owes me anything. Got to get past that thinking people owe me something. Why do they owe you something? No, no. And nobody's your source of strength. Nobody is your deliverer except Him. 
who will never leave you and never forsake you. And when you know that, like the psalmist said, let me see if it's in this one. That's another one. Psalm 42, are you there? He said, among other things, verse 8, Psalm 42, 8, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night, what? His song will be with me. Now, he's not talking about playing the radio. He pulled out his guitar. Somebody said, well, I can't play. Yeah, but you can still sing. Get you a washboard or something, you know. A couple of spoons. This is the Ozarks. You can do, you can do something. Right? Get you a stick and a coffee can. Right? Now, you're laughing, but I'm serious. What do you do when nobody is there for you? When everything seems like it's lost and it's too late and it's too far gone, what do you do? You don't wait on somebody to call you or notice you or recognize you. You don't wait for somebody to be specially alerted of God by a word of knowledge to come visit you. Come on now. You don't sit around and sulk because your family hadn't already showed up. What do you do? Get out your coffee can. Tink, 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 tink. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. The Lord is on my side. I'm coming out of here. The Lord is with me. No one can be against me. The Lord is on my side. I'm coming out of this. Whatever works for you. Can you do it? Yes. Can you encourage you? Yes. Yourself? Yes. Don't have to wait on anybody. Look to anybody. See, instead of waiting for somebody else to come bolster me up, we ought to be the kind of people that can encourage ourselves and help other people. Yes. We're not always looking for somebody to come prop us up. We know how to prop ourselves up. And then we're strong enough to help somebody else. And then get them where they can encourage themselves. And if we did this, we wouldn't have a church full of babies. We'd have a church full of maturing ones that could help the ones who really are babies. Right? And the Lord said that about us, didn't he? He said, I'm growing this church up quickly. I believe it. It's happening. We're not going to be a bunch of whiny babies. We're going to be a bunch of strong believers who know how to encourage ourselves, Know how to get in there and hear from God for ourselves, Know how to obey him. And are able with resources and faith, spiritual and natural, to help other people. Right? Instead of looking for somebody else to help us all the time. That's more fun anyway. How many think it's more fun that you can answer a call to help somebody than to have to call, can you come help me? Now if you're a baby and you need it, well that's okay. But let's grow. Let's develop. Get to the place where we can help others. How many... Believe it's more of a blessing to have money you can help other people with than always needing help financially. Well, it's a curse to always be in lack. We studied that last week. But it's a blessing to have excess. Plenty. He said, he commands his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer to the God of my life. Now skip on down to verse 11. Well, now let me read the whole thing here. Because he was going through this. How many of the Bible said that David himself was greatly distressed? Remember that? He didn't jump into this because he felt like it. He had cried until he had no more tears. He had sorrowed until he, he had no more strength to cry or do anything. And it was in this condition that he initiated Self-encouragement. Right? And he said, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Well, he was mourning, wasn't he? As a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily to me, where is your God? How many know probably some of the guys that were supposed to be serving him were saying that? Where is this God you keep talking about? 
Here we're supposed to be helping you serve God. And we come in here and our family's gone and our house is burnt to the ground. Where's he at? They're ready to kill him. And he was having to deal with his own soul. But verse 11, what did he do? Verse 11. He quit whining to God. And he started talking to who? Do you see this? He quit complaining to God and he began to talk to David. David began to talk to David and said, hey, 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 why are you cast down, oh my soul? What's wrong with you? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. What does that mean? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't despair. Don't cast your confidence away. It ain't all over. Hmm? Hope in God. Hope. Say, yeah. No, no, no. It's not over. It is over. Look at the smoke and heat. No, I don't care. Look at the bills are piled up. They cover the table. You got no money. It's over. Never say it's over. If anybody could have said it was over, they could have said it. They don't even know which way the army went that destroyed them. They don't know if any of them's alive. They don't have a house or a bed to lay down in. But he encouraged himself. He got a hold of his soul. His soul had all these feelings of sorrow and, and anguish. And he got a, he said, hey, soul, soul, listen to me. God is with you. He's never failed you. He never let you down. What are you carrying on like this for? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God. How many know sometimes you got to talk to yourself? Amen. Open your mouth and talk to you. Talk to your soul. Your feelings. Your emotions. Soul. What's wrong with you? Quit this. Hope in God for I shall yet praise him. I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Just a few verses later in the 43rd Psalm, what does it say? 43.5. What does it say? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. What could the soul say back to him? Because <laughs> my house is burnt down. Because my dog is gone. Because all my family's gone. I don't know if they're dead, alive, being tortured. All my money, all my prosperity, all my stuff, all my respect of my men. They want to kill me? Could I give you some more reasons? How many understand that will not help you? Now listen. Beware the negative list. Beware the negative list. Don't pull out the negative list for your spouse. Well, yeah, but we got this wrong. And you didn't do that. And we don't have this. And we never had this. And then this is going to happen. What's going to happen with that? And we don't. You start down that road and the devil will come and sit right on your shoulder. And you'll say, yeah, you forgot this. Now, you don't have that either. And you forgot to, and the list just keeps getting longer and longer. What you don't have, what you don't know, what you can't do. Do you hear that? What's it designed to do? Exactly. Until you have no hope. Till you look at that mountain of problems and needs and go, oh God, just take me out of here. I mean, there ain't no way. But there is a way. He has a name. He is the way. How many know there? Well, you've heard it before, but it's true. There is a way. Where there doesn't seem to be a way. Right? There is. David, and he said, he said, why are you cast down, soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Another way of saying hope in God is to say expect. That's why you look up the word. It literally means confident expectation. Expect. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Somebody said out loud, I shall yet praise Him. Can you praise Him in the ashes? Can you praise Him with all your money gone? 
praise Him when you don't know what's going on? You don't know go right or left or front or back. Can you praise Him anyhow? When you feel like crying and you feel just like killing yourself, can you stand up and say, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. So what's wrong with you? Straighten up. So don't you be cast down. I will yet praise Him. Praise you, Lord. Praise you for bringing me out of this. Praise you for showing me what to do. How many know the moment you really do that from your heart, light and strength begins to flow to you from God Almighty. Go back to 1 Samuel. Ooh, glory. David encouraged himself. Didn't wait for somebody to do it for him. Did it himself. I like being able to do things myself, don't you? Don't you? I like being able to fix things myself. Figure it out myself if at all possible. Didn't have to wait on somebody for everything. I don't have to wait for somebody to tell me and get me the victory. Oh, brother, would you pray through and get my victory? Please, I'm waiting on you. I'm hurting bad. Could y'all pray through and get me the victory? <laughs> no, you ain't got to wait. You can encourage yourself. It works. David, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David called Abiathar the priest. That was his preacher. He said, uh, bring me an ephod. Because they didn't have the Holy Ghost in them like we do today. He brought him the ephod. And verse 8, David did what? Inquired at the Lord. Now get this. What's the first thing David did? He encouraged. How I many? a lot of times you're not even in any shape to hear from God. While you're wallowing in depression and self-pity. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Then what did he do? Don't just assume you know what to do. Ask him. Ask, Lord, show me what to do. Shall I go? Shall I pursue after this troop? Whoever took my family? And if I do, will I catch them? Will I overtake them? Here came the word of the Lord. What did the word of the Lord say? Pursue. And you shall surely overtake them. That's the two things he asked. Here's the other thing too though. How many know God likes bonuses? He said, take off after them. You will catch them. You'll catch them. And, and. You surely overtake them and without fail recover all. He must have believed it. And he must have done some speech. <laughs> and he, for all them guys that are ready to kill him. He called a meeting. And they came. Right? And he started talking to them. And convinced them. To load up. And follow him. How many know you can't do that when you got no victory inside you? Ain't nobody going to follow you. You act like you don't even know where you're going. He must have come out from the presence of God. Said, men, I've heard from God. They had heard that before. And it was right. Again and again. They're wondering about this last time. But after he gave his little sermon to them, man, they buckled on their armor. They just came in from a campaign. They've cried till they got no strength. But they... Popped him a piece of honeycomb and some jerky or something. And they loaded the chariots. And here they went. And what happened? What happened? They went after him. He pursued. He and the 400 men. And we won't read all of it. But they caught him. They found a guy who was able to give them directions to where they were. How many know if you never take the first step, you don't find out about the second one? What if they hadn't left? They had no clue if they were even going in the right direction. But they just took off. And the Lord had a, a fellow positioned who knew right where they were. And they found out. And they overtook them. And they came up and saw them all having a big party in verse 16. Because they had taken great spoil. And they fell on them. And verse 18, what did it say? 
And David recovered all the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And get this, there was nothing lacking to them. Neither small or great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Why? Because he didn't quit. He didn't lay down and die. He didn't give up and despair. Can you say amen? amen. What about us? Yes. When do you quit? Never. When does it get so bad that you say, well, it's just no use? Never. If you have to, you encourage yourself in the Lord. You remind yourself how faithful God is, how big He is, how good He is, what He's done for you so many times. And you ask Him what to do. And then you do it. And he recovered all. Not only that, but David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle. Everybody say other cattle. And said, this is David's spoil. See, they got all the spoil of everything these raiding parties had taken. So they went from nothing, smoking, ruins, no family... To every guy didn't lose, not one thing, and all this extra wealth, they became a lot richer than they started out before the attack in a day. Now, as they were going back, verse 21, David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David. I told you they were weak, you know, and 200 of them were so weak, they physically could not continue, so they had them wait by all their stuff. And you remember, if you've read this, that some of the men, they said, no, because they didn't go, then they don't get any spoil. That's verse 22. We'll give them, verse 22, they get no spoil that we've recovered, except that every man can have his wife and his children, and they can take them and go. Verse 23, David said, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord has given us, who's preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken to you? Who will listen to you in this matter? But as his part is that goes down to the battle, so his part be that tarries by the stuff, they shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now keep reading. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil, they must have had a lot of stuff, unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. What kind of God did David know? He knew a God who took him from being the youngest, the most insignificant, the brokest. And added to him, and even though he lost everything, he added it back and more, and he lost everything, and he added it back to him and more. And wound up, we're going to see eventually, wound up one of the richest, most powerful, most respected kings in the earth. Wound up with billions to build the temple of God. It's pretty good for a poor man. Shepherd boy. But notice what kind of man David was. Now, see, we've got to talk about both sides of this. You know, we've done this with Abraham and, and different ones. We know we serve the same God that they do. He hasn't changed. What he's done for them, he'll do for us. Right? But what kind of man and woman were they that he could do for them what he was able to do? There's more than one side to this thing. What kind of man was David that God could give him such victories? Could recover him like this. What kind of man was he? He's a man after God's own heart. He's a man who loved God. With all his heart, soul, mind and strength. His favorite thing to do. Was to hang out and sing praises to God. That was his hobby. Tune the guitar. And praise the Lord. What do you want to do now David? Let's have a praise-a-thon. Out here in the pasture. Good a place as any. Let's praise the Lord. I mean sing to the Lord and praise the Lord. And he's a man who would not give up. Do you see this? How many believe we have to be the same way? You've got to be somebody who won't give up. 
Who won't quit? Well, you got knocked back down. So? It looked like you had a lot of money and then you lost it. So? It ain't over. Right? (laughs) Well, you were doing so good and now it's so bad. So? How many believe it can change amazingly in a day? If you won't quit. But you can't lay down and cry and feel sorry for yourself. How many believe we can become expert around here at Faith Life Church at encouraging ourselves in the Lord? We notice when our feelings begin to go and our soul begins to go one way and catch it early. Catch it early. Get yourself by the ear and drag yourself over in front of the mirror and say, hey, 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 soul. Uh-uh. You're not doing this. None of this laying around in bed, feeling sorry for yourself, cool cloth on your head. Oh, no, I can't go tonight. No! You get up and put on your best clothes. Comb your hair. Fix yourself. Stand up like the man, the woman that God has saved and answered so many prayers for and done so much for you. Act like you believe what you shout about in church, that God is able to do all things. Oh, nothing's too hard for Him. Nothing's impossible to Act like you believe it. Act like you believe it. Encourage yourself. Amen. And then do what? Inquire of the Lord. Lord, show me what to do. Which way do I go? And whatever He says to you, do it. Do it. Right? Don't miss this last part now. Let me show you something that goes along with this, and then I think I'm, I'm done. Go to another place. Second Samuel 6. I, I, we'll bring these three things together. This last thing about David. What kind of man he was that God could bless him like he did. Second Samuel 6. This is the story of how that they brought the Ark of the Covenant Back in among the people of God. And you remember how David got to dancing? I mean, he danced, danced. And uh, his wife, Michal, I think is how you pronounce it. She thought he acted a fool. And other, I guess maybe some other people wondered about it. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. How many of the, David, what kind of man was he? What kind of man can God bless like this? A man who was not embarrassed about God. He's not ashamed to praise God. Right? If people didn't understand why he praised God and thought he was a fool, he's not serving them. How many of you are not going to stand before any men at the last day? You're not going to have to give an account of your life to any men. Right? You're going to stand before him. And he was so glad that the ark that represented the presence of the Lord was coming back to where it was supposed to be. And uh, he got so excited, he just danced. He's the king. He is the head man. He, he said, stop this throne. Stop this procession. Let me get off of here. So the king says, stop. He got off. He said, hold this rope. And he started dancing. He started moving. He started shouting. And people said, the king is dancing. <laughs> His wife, the, he's acting like a fool. He's the king. And when she said something about it, he said, yeah, I was dancing before the Lord who made me king instead of your daddy. And I danced more than this too. <laughs> right? He knew who got him there. Didn't he? He knew who's going to keep him there. So he was more concerned about what he thought than what they thought. And he was so excited. He was so happy. And until the Bible says, uh, verse 17 and 18, they set up the ark and they offered all the offerings. And verse 18, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And get this, and he dealt among all the people. Even among the whole multitude of Israel. That's a nation. As well to the women as men. That was unheard of in those days. To everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh or meat, and a flagon of wine. And so all the people departed, everyone, to his house. How many know there was happiness, there was joy that day? I want you to see something about David. 
Three things we see right here. When they came back and some of the people said, no, no, these guys, they didn't go and they didn't fight, so they don't get a share. He said, they most certainly do. They most certainly do. They would have been here if they could. They physically couldn't put one foot in front of the other, but they didn't just do nothing. They stayed here and protected what we had left. And they supported us. He said, no, they're going to get a share just like everybody else. Everybody say share. Share. What kind of man was David? When he got blessed, everybody around him got blessed. Did you get this? Did you see this? Not only that, they got home and he sent friends. Excuse me, gifts to his friends in Israel. The elders of Israel, he sent nice packages. He said, here, the Lord's been good to us. Have a present. Have a package. He sent nice gifts. And then when the Ark of the Covenant came back in, he said, oh, this is a good day. Everybody, everybody got plenty to eat? I'm going to make sure everybody's got plenty to eat. He gave an order. He said, I want every man and every woman, I want everybody to have a big fancy meal today. Nicest bread and the nicest meat and a great big jug of wine. Somebody said, the women too? The women too. Everybody. Everybody in the whole nation. You're getting insight, aren't you? Into a man after God's own heart. What kind of man was he? He was a man who wouldn't quit. He's a man who would encourage himself in the worst circumstance. He's a man who inquired of the Lord. Didn't just go out and do what he decided. Ask the Lord. And he's a man who shared the blessings. When David's blessed, everybody's blessed. When David's having a party, everybody's having a party. Can you say amen? Amen. Is that us? Is that you? Is that me? It's going to happen more and more. And we're going to be more and more blessed. We're going to be so blessed that our stuff is going to get better and better and more of it. Amen. And we can be more and more generous. When we're blessed, other people are blessed. Can you see this? A sharer. A giver. Glory be to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.